0: Hope that y'all are doing well uh, tonight. My name's Trey. Um, I uh, serve on staff here at Mercy View, and I am excited to have the opportunity to uh, jump into this text, uh, this command with you guys. Um, We're nearly to the end of our series through the Ten Commandments. We have uh, three weeks left, including tonight. Um, And uh, just because we're coming to the end of it, I think it's important for us to keep uh, the reason why we are uh, examining this command in front of us. Um, The reason that we decided to call this series Live Free, uh, and it's because we believe that one of the things that we learn in Scripture is that true freedom comes not from complete individual autonomy. Like, you're not truly free because you are uh, your own self-sovereign. But true freedom actually comes through submission to God's rule and reign. That if our lives are not mere chance— a result of some random, chaotic, cosmic burst of energy billions of years ago, Uh, if our lives have actually been divinely created and divinely ordered by an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-ever-present God, then there's going to be boundaries and limitations on how we live our life in this world, in His world. Those boundaries are not opposed to freedom but rather the way in which true freedom is actually going to be lived out in our lives. And so life free from boundaries, uh, the boundaries of law, specifically God's law, it's like playing a game with a five-year-old. I have a five-year-old. I don't know if you've ever played a game with someone who's five, six years old, especially a game that they made up. But what happens when you play a game with them is that the rules constantly change. Like if they start to lose... (laughs) the rules start to change. And so once you think you have it figured out, even something as simple as, hey, you're gonna race me running and I'm gonna ride my bike, like as soon as you start winning, all of a sudden it's, well, hey, you cheated. Well, how did I cheat? I don't know, but it's my game and my rules. And so you cheated. And it's exactly like how we are, right? Like We we are the same way, we don't like to lose, we're just a little bit more nuanced and sneaky in the ways that we change the rules of the game when we try to run life on our own. But the good news is that God, he's not like us. He's immutable. He's unchanging in his character and in his ways. And so King David can say in Psalm 19, with confidence, that the law of God is perfect. He actually goes on to say that it revives us. It gives us strength. It gives us energy. To put it a little bit more crassly, this is his game. And it only really works when we play it by his rules. But the good news is that he's not going to move the goalpost. He's not going to change the rules of the game. Which is why what we find in this 3,500-year-old set of standards still applies so perfectly to our lives. That's why there's so much of it that's been applicable to us throughout this series. And so this week we're exploring the Eighth Commandment. It consists of just four words, you shall not steal. And as sure as that sentence may be, the breadth of the implications from that sentence are pretty staggering. I was reminded of it this week as I was studying and I was looking at a commentary. And as I was reading that commentary, I started thinking, okay, like how have I broken this command? Because this is one of them that feels like it's, it's like, okay, what have I done? Like, I, I, I tend not to like, you know, be tempted toward thievery, right? And as I'm thinking about the ways in which um, I have been unfaithful to the Eighth Commandment, uh, I, I'm having a hard time, and then all of a sudden something clicks in my head. Like there is in the back of my garage this dusty red shop vac that I borrowed from the church I was on staff at four and a half years ago. And I took this thing home a year before I left to vacuum up some stuff from a remodeling project, and I never took it back. I forgot that it was in my garage, and then I would see it, and I would remember, oh, I need to take that back. Like, well, but it needs a new filter, so I better get a filter for it before I take it up there, because I don't want to take it up there dirty and in need of repairs. And I would forget to do it. in six months or 12 months or 18 months would pass by, and I would forget that it was in my garage. And on Monday, I'm sitting reading this commentary, and I'm thinking about, how have I broken the Eight Commandment? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, actually actively breaking the Eight Commandment right now, because the shop vac is back in a corner in my garage. And so what am I going to do when I vividly remember that this piece of equipment is one, not mine, and two, been left unreturned for like over five years? Well, the law of the Lord is perfect. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is very sure and very true and very palpable, especially when you're getting ready to preach. And so Thursday afternoon, on my way back from a lunch meeting, I swung by Lowe's, I grabbed a new filter, I went to the car wash, washed this thing out, and I took it up to the church. And I rang the doorbell, and the pastor's wife was there, and she answers the door and says, Hey, been a long time, good to see you. Hey, good to see you. Hey, listen, I accidentally stole this shop vac like five years ago. I have no idea if you need it but I got to bring it back because I'm preaching on the 8th commandment this week and the holy spirit's just not going to let me wait any longer. And we had a good laugh for about 10 minutes and talked about how amazing it is that the spirit like just convicts us of sin and when he starts to do that like he's not going to let us go. And so here's the thing. Like did they need the shot back? Probably not. Did they even know that it was missing? No, they had no idea. Could I preach this text this evening with any sense of integrity if I hadn't taken it back? No, absolutely not. Why? Because I've broken the eighth commandment and God cares about his law. Even if it sounds silly, even if it's humorous, God cares about his law because he cares about our integrity, he cares about property. And possessions, whether they belong to an individual, a corporation, a church, or even the government. Why? Because regardless of how the person or entity views what they own, it all belongs to him. Because anything that we have, it is on loan from him. And so tonight I want us to consider the ways in which we've often, we do, and we, we've often broke this command. I want us to really look at what motivates the ways that we uh, have done this. And, And identifying that, I think, is going to help us actually live the way that Paul calls us to in Ephesians 4, to let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor. And so if you spent any significant amount of time in the church, you've probably heard a sermon from Malachi 3, specifically verse 8. Like if you were here last summer, you heard this sermon where it says, Will a man rob God? It's a really provocative question. Like, it's intended to be provocative. Because when we hear that, we go, like, absolutely not. I'm not going to try to rob from God. It's like going and trying to steal smog's treasure, right? Like, I mean, like, God, like, no, I'm not going to steal from God. Like, that's insane. Yet, what Malachi's pointing out is like, hey, actually, like, you do. And he's talking about tithes and offerings. Like, I'm not talking about giving tonight. So, like, that's, get that out of your head. Like, we're not talking about tithing tonight. What we see in the Eighth Commandment, though, is that um, we actually do rob God because all theft is robbing Him. Because everything belongs to Him. And one of the things we begin to notice as we move beyond the Ten Commandments into the rest of the law is that they're really this kind of launching point and, and launch pad for all the ethical and moral commands in Scripture. And so, when God says in the eighth word, you shall not steal, like those four words, they're covering this wide array of illicit activity, things that God considers theft. And so, the Hebrew word that's used here that I'm going to absolutely butcher is the word Ganaph. And as we look at how the word's used in Scripture, we see that it not only covers like conventional theft, like things like pickpocketing and porch pirates but like there's this wide range of things that this word covers like, it calls out things like breaking in and stealing from people's homes or cars or businesses like robbing somebody by force it covers things like larceny like taking a shop back and not taking it back to the church but Gnath, it also is used to describe other more what one commentator calls exotic types of theft things like embezzlement extortion Racketeering. And maybe those are all things that, that, to you, they sound like things that you would never do. Maybe things that you've never done. But my guess is that most of us are doing what I did this week. Like, as we know that we're examining the Ten Commandments, we know that we're looking at the Eighth Commandment, we're thinking, okay, well, what we've done every other week is we've looked at how this kind of presses in on our thoughts and our attitudes and the things that don't really make sense. And so we're already sitting here and thinking about All right, well, how have I stolen things? Like, how have I broken this command? And so you might have in mind something like stealing a pack of gum when you were a kid or a toy. Maybe what I did with the shop vac. Like, you borrowed your friend's set of tools and you didn't take them back. Or or realizing as you're loading the car that, like, you forgot to pay for the dog food. Like, it's underneath the cart and, like, you forgot to scan it and nobody caught it. And what I hope we all realize is that whether or not we're trying to keep the letter Or the spirit of law, there is multiple ways that we failed to do this. This is a command that actually none of us can keep perfectly, none of us have kept perfectly, that we're all guilty of breaking it in some way. And I quoted from it last time, and I'm gonna do it again because I think it's really helpful, Um, the Heidelberg Catechism, it presses in on this command, and so um, I'm actually putting them up on the screen this week so you can see them because it's a little bit of a longer quote. but question 110 says this, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? And we really wanna get underneath it, I think this is a good summary for us. God forbids not only outright theft and robbery punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that seem legitimate such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, and volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. So what does God really consider theft? What does he care about? Well, it definitely includes things like scanning your organic produce as though it's like the regular stuff, Right, like weighing it, like this is an organic avocado and there's really nothing different between this and the other avocado, the other one's just cheaper and so you scan it as that. It includes things like fudging the information on your Facebook marketplace listing so that the language makes it sound just a little bit better than it actually is. Charging more for something than it's worth because you actually can, which is like, you know, something you could do right now because everything costs more than it's actually worth. The catechism also includes this, and I think this is something really important we should key in on. Pointless squandering of God's gifts. In other words, poor poor stewardship is breaking the eighth command. That's particularly true when it comes to our time, not just our money and our property, which like God cares about both of those things. That's why he's got a whole set of laws about them. But I think most of us tend to break the Eighth Commandment when it comes to the way that we steward our time. So we spend an extra 30 minutes at lunch or our breaks at work, like failing to manage your time wisely. And so you miss deadlines. Like in a call back to the Fourth Command, right? Like we we fail to steward our time when we don't actually order our lives in such a way that the Sabbath can be a time for restful worship. Another way that we're poor stewards is by taking on bad debt that we can't repay, which leads to outright theft when we default or fail to pay it at all. Poor stewardship is what we, it, of what we have is breaking the Eighth Commandment because what we have is ultimately not ours. It belongs to God, which takes us back to Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? If everything belongs to him and each of us are merely stewards of his gifts, then the answer has to be yes, because in the ways that we've broken this command, we're not just sinning against others, we're sinning against him. So in his commentary on the Ten Commandments, I like the way Philip Ryken kinda says this. He says, every theft is also an assault on God's providence for others. Stealing is a sin against God because it robs what he has provided somebody else. He also makes the point that the Eighth Commandment makes a base assumption that we have this like, right to own things. that like Personal property rights, they matter because it is in the right to own property and possessions that we're able to take hold of what God gives us and be stewards of it. And so Ryken elaborates, by saying you shall not steal, God indicated that people have a right to their own private property. Otherwise, the whole concept of stealing would fail to make any sense. Only something that belongs to someone can be stolen from them. But the reason that anything belongs to anyone is because it comes from God. And we don't have the right to take for ourselves what God has given to others. What the Bible means by ownership is not possessing things to use for our own purposes, but receiving things from God to use for his glory when we steal, when we, when we take, either by poor stewardship or, or in other illicit ways, we're not just taking from God, but we're taking from him things that are meant to be used for his glory. We become thieves not of stuff, but of his glory. Which leads us to the second thing I think we need to see. When we break the eighth commandment in overt or subversive ways, it shows us something about the trust we have in God, to be true to his word. You see, at the root, theft is a failure to believe that God can, will, and does provide everything that we need. Let me say that one more time. At its root, theft, breaking the eighth commandment, it's a failure to believe that God can Will and does provide all that we need. For the thief who's an unbeliever, who's never learned to trust God for his salvation, much less anything else, like, of course, they're not trusting God when they steal. And they feel like they have to do everything on their own. They're not realizing that they've been given gifts as a steward. But it's a little mind boggling when it comes to those of us who have trusted. In Christ for our salvation from our sin, yet we fail to trust Him to provide for our daily bread. So Jesus, He parses this out pretty heavily in the Sermon on the Mount, like in Matthew six. He talks about the 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 place that we find our treasure. That's where our heart really is, and where our heart is, that's, that's the thing we desire, the thing we long for, and it shows what we really love. He talks about the fact that whether or not we're filled with anxiety over basic things like what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, about our body, what we're going to put on. And as he's showing this, he's showing us that like when we are anxious about those things, it's because we've misplaced our trust. It's because we're treasuring the wrong things. He says to look at the way that God cares for creation, feeding the birds and clothing the lilies, and to consider that if God will take care of his creation... Feeds the birds, clothes the grass that's here today, and tomorrow is burned in the oven. Will he not take care of you? Like, the person made in his image. He says, oh, you of little faith. And that lack of faith, it's the seed that the enemy begins to sow in our hearts that drives us toward breaking the eighth commandment. And one of the greatest ways that we as Christians fail to obey this command is when we fail to live generously with what we have. And we can obviously see this in our habits around giving here at the local church. We we could talk about tithing, we're not going to do that tonight. Because I think as believers we're to be generous not just with the money that we've been given. But God wants us to be generous with our entire lives. Like he wants us to be generous with our time, like investing in the lives of others and making disciples. He wants generosity to flow from our tables as we invite neighbors in, maybe even strangers into our lives for a meal, for conversation. Generosity is wrapped up in our time and money spent investing in nonprofits and serving the poor, widows, and orphans. And when we live our lives in generosity, Jesus tells us that this is storing up treasure, not for ourselves here on earth, that's one day gonna be burnt up, and if it's not burnt up, it's probably gonna be stolen by somebody who's breaking the Eighth Commandment because they don't trust God. This lack of generosity is flowing from a lack in faith in God's own faithfulness to us. It's stealing in the sense that we're treating God's gifts to us as if they're ours to keep and gain all on our own. But the people of God, we should be known and marked by our generosity. And when we fail to live generously, we show that like the disciples, our faith in God to provide for our needs, it's lacking. And again, we rob God of His glory and our neighbor of the means by which God has intended to provide for them to meet their need. And we can continue with examples and illustrations of how we break the Eighth Commandment, but I think we all kind of have an idea at this point. We've kind of realized the reality that, okay, yeah, no, I break the Eighth Commandment. <laughs> like, I am, for lack of any other word, a thief. And so what are we going to do with this realization? Where do we turn? Look with me at Ephesians four twenty eight. We read it earlier this evening. This is what Paul says. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So one of the things that's taking place here in Ephesians chapter four is that Paul is moving from chapters one through three, where he gives this like great exposition of what the gospel is. He tells us about the ways in which we've been saved, the way that Jesus has worked for us, the the work of the Spirit in our lives. And and he moves from this, hey, this is what we believe, and because of that, you have become a new person. Into chapters 4 through 6, which is, now, this is how we live. It's from what we believe, and the faith that saves us, to because we have been saved, here is the way that we now walk in obedience to Christ. He gives hints of it all the way through, like in chapter 2. Remember, like, hey, you've been saved. By grace, you've been saved. It's not your own doing. You've been created in Christ Jesus. You're his workmanship, created for good works that he's prepared beforehand. And and, and as Paul begins to flesh all of that out, he gets into chapter 4. And we see in verse 22 that we're told, hey, look, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted by deceitful desires. And then he says, put on the new self. And here in verse 28, like this is him working out what it means to put off the old self and put on the new self. He's like, one of the ways that you have been living in this death in sin that God has now made you alive in Christ to cast off and walk in newness of life is you were a thief. And so he says, let the thief no longer steal. That's putting off the old self. And then he says, this is how we put on the new self. And we've seen the breadth of what it means to steal, to break the eighth commandment. And with that knowledge comes the need to repent and to turn away from sin toward God. And so here in verse 28, we have two ways in which Paul says, hey, this is what it means to now walk in the newness of life that you've been given. One, we work hard. And two, we give generously. And so I want to go back to the Heidelberg Catechism real fast as we we dive into those two things. The next question, question 111, this is what follows. It says this, What does God require of you in the Eighth Commandment? That I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully that I may share with those in need. And so let's first consider... What does God require of us here? If we look at Ephesians 4.28, have a little bit of commentary from this old catechism, one of the things that we're required to do is to work hard. God wants us to be people who are known for working hard. Like Kevin DeYoung says, that one of the things that the Eighth Commandment forbids is the sort of attitude that says, listen, somebody else will just take care of this. Somebody else is going to provide this need. I don't need to do anything. And we aren't to assume that God's going to provide for us through the provision that he's given to someone else. Like one of the ways he provides for us is giving us talents and gifts and things that we can use for his glory. And for many of us that we can use to make a living. And it is right for us to be generous, but it is wrong for us to presume upon the generosity of others when we're able to work. Freeloading is theft, and the opposite of freeloading is getting to work. There's always exceptions, right? Like the injury, sickness, maybe even an ailing family member that comes and has to live with you, and and so you have to, to take on these responsibilities at home that make working and making a living next to impossible, that's where generosity comes in. Like, that's where, hey, we're going to take care of those in the community, widows and orphans, right, is the way that the Bible tends to talk about it, who can't take care of themselves. However, what we need to recognize is that what Paul is getting at is that one of the ways we avoid breaking this command is through not allowing ourselves to become idle. Idleness and laziness, those are sinful things, sinful attitudes and behaviors and what idleness and laziness eventually lead to is theft. And it might not be you stealing rollers off of like the little menu, the thing there at QT, right, and just like darting out the door. But likely it's something like using your buddy's car, leaving it on empty, and then crashing on his couch without paying rent. And Paul says, "Let the thief no longer steal. Work hard, and all around work hard." Now he says, hey, work hard, but all around that is that we're to work hard and the provision that God gives us is not just for us. Work hard and be generous because Christ has been so generous to you. The catechism says that we're to do whatever we can for our neighbor's good. And so maybe what that looks like is helping the elderly neighbor across the street get the AC in her car fixed. Or, it's really expensive to have people mow your yard right now because gas costs so much, and so you see that the weeds are getting a little bit tall and she can't afford to hire somebody anymore, and you just go do it for her. Now that requires getting to know your neighbors, which is a completely different sermon with a lot of conviction that we could talk about it another time. Or we could really get into the weeds, like something really well relevant, Generosity looks like taking your time and money and supporting single moms, single moms-to-be who are scared, either through having a personal relationship with them or maybe connecting with them through a crisis pregnancy center. It looks like getting involved with foster care and adoption ministries, opening your home to some of the more than 1,200 kids in the foster care system here in the Tulsa Metro. It's maybe going above and beyond your tithes to help support the work of the Hoyts in Albuquerque, or it's maybe being flexible with the new kind of work schedule that you have because some of us are still working remote and, and taking some of that flexibility and investing in young men and young women who need discipling and mentoring. We move toward keeping the Eighth Commandment, toward let the thief no longer steal by chiefly recognizing that we are in fact prone to breaking this command and then resolving to see our time, talents, and resources as belonging to God and not to us. By acknowledging that we often break the command not to steal by stealing not from others, but by stealing from Him directly. And so where does this lead us today? It leads us to the only place that it can. It leads us to the foot of the cross. When Jesus was crucified, he was placed on the cross between two men who the Bible describes as thieves. And as the day started and they hung there on the cross, we see that both men were mocking him and jeering at him. Because this guy with the placard above his head that said, the king of the Jews is hanging on a cross in between them. And as the day goes on, we see that one of them begins to realize that what's happening to him and what's happening to Jesus are not the same thing. Like the punishment may seem the same, the pain may be the same, but the reason that he's there and the reason that they're there is altogether different. And as his friend continues to mock, he rebukes him. He says, man, listen, we deserve to be hanging here on this cross, but this guy... He does not deserve to be here. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Please remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And with compassion, Jesus, he looks at him and he says, Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And as Jesus hung and died, he died with thieves. But actually, he died in one sense as a thief. And so Martin Luther makes this comment, he says, Christ is innocent insofar as his own person is concerned, therefore he shouldn't have been hanged from the tree, but because according to the law, every thief should have been hanged, Christ himself should have been hanged, for he bore the person of a sinner and a thief, and not of one, but of all sinners and thieves." For we are sinners and thieves, and therefore we are worthy of death and eternal damnation. But Christ took all our sin upon himself, and for them he died on the cross. As we've worked our way through the Ten Commandments thus far, like I hope that at some point you've paused each week, and you've looked at the command, and you begin to ask yourself, is God really my first love? Or is something else taking that place? Am I an idolater? Am I taking God's name in vain? Am I breaking the Sabbath? Do, Do I dishonor my parents? Have I committed murder in my heart? Am I adulterer with my actions or my thoughts? Am I a thief? And the reality that all of us are forced to face is that in some way, we are all of those things. The Ten Commandments serve as this mirror that show us who God is and show us who we are in relation to Him. And were it not for this fact, that Jesus died on the cross as a sinner and a thief, gazing upon the mirror of God's perfect and holy law would be more than we could bear. But Jesus did die on the cross as a sinner and a thief so that every thief who trusts him would hear the words, today you will be with me in paradise and know that they are meant for you. And so if you trusted Jesus, like, are you convicted tonight, like I was this week, about the ways in which that you've broken the eighth commandment? Take it to the foot of the cross. Maybe you need to make restitution. Maybe you need to repent and turn toward generosity. Maybe you need to be a better steward of the gifts and your time that God has given you. Maybe tonight what you realize is that not only are you a thief, but until tonight, you hadn't really given God Or Jesus, a second thought. Maybe you came in here tonight and you're, you're exploring Christianity. Maybe you're still on the fence. Listen, I hope that what you see tonight is that you actually deserve to be on the cross next to Jesus. But he's there in your place. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves tonight. We need the same thing. We need the good news that Jesus died for a thief like you. A thief like me. Let's pray tonight.